We will be in the book of Psalms this morning. The book of Psalms. And in particular, we're going to be in Psalms 39. The 39th Psalm. Psalm 39. We're going to only read two verses in Psalms 39. We will make reference to at least one other verse during the message, and we may come back to a few others. But in Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, we find our text verses. Psalms 39, verses 4 and 5. Notice Psalm 39, verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. The title of the message this morning is The Brevity of Life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house today. We rejoice in being able to be here and to study your word and to be amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, hopefully to encourage one another, to edify one another. Lord, as we worship and praise you, we desire that uh, the sacrifices of our lips and of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, uh, it is true that at our best estate, man here is only vanity and frailty. And Lord, certainly life is short. Lord, I pray that today as we investigate this very serious and solemn subject, that you'd help us to do it with the right attitude based upon the reality of your word as it is truth. And Lord, to help us to truly take account and inventory as to how we are living our lives here on this earth. Lord, that we might be living them with the understanding that life is short. There's the brevity of life. Lord, help us and have your own will and way. Accomplish your own purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The brevity of life. This past week, as has already been mentioned, it served to demonstrate that death does loom for all of us. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I spent time out of the day at Brother Armand's viewing, as all of you did, and also his funeral on Wednesday. Yesterday, I spent time uh, at my neighbor Larry Bryant's viewing over in O'Fallon. On Friday, Andy Leach's dad passed away, and we've had him on the prayer bulletin. Now, this name won't mean anything to you um, in the context in which I use it, uh, but John Adams, uh, not the uh, founding father and forefather of our nation, but John Adams was a guy from Cleveland, Ohio, was 70 years, 71 years old and passed away this past week. If you ever went to a Cleveland Indians game, you would know who John Adams is. You might not know his name. But for 40-something years, John Adams would set out in the bleachers in center field, and he had a big old drum. And when the Indians would start a rally, he would be out there banging that drum, right? They're not even the Indians anymore. They're the Guardians. But nevertheless, John Adams never missed a home game, went to every game pounding that drum, and if you were an Indians fan, you knew who John Adams was. John Adams passed away. Now, even though some of these folks were older in years, 
it still shows us and proves to us the brevity of life. Life is brief. Now in Psalm 39, David is the author. And David is struggling as he endures and undergoes affliction here on this earth. And in verse number 4, let's read it again. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. David is literally crying out to God for God to show David how long he would have to suffer in this life. In other words, when's it going to be over? How long am I going to live here? David was clearly frustrated in his affliction. And yet in verse number 5, he answers his own question. Look at verse number 5. Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. You know that the meaning of the word Selah means, hey, think about it and meditate on these things. David is answering his own question. Lord, how long am I going to have to struggle? How long is this life going to be? David's answer, very short, very brief. The brevity of life. David says that life is as a hand breath. It was, the hand breath was the shortest measurement used at the time. It was the span of four fingers. How long is life? It's short. The span of four fingers. David realizes the brevity of life. Montanus, who was the founder of the Montanists, they were our Baptist forefathers. Montanus called this phrase brevis dirum. Brevis meaning short, little, or of small extent. In dirum meaning days, brief days. We don't like to talk about death. At least I don't like to talk about death. Probably you don't even like to think about death. And yet we must. Life is short. Life is brief. The brevity of life. There are three facts that we are confronted with when we think about the brevity of life. We want to look at each of these this morning. Fact number one, death is approaching. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how young you are. Death is approaching. Fact number two, it requires a wise application. I'll explain what I mean by that as we get into it. And then thirdly, this fact that we're confronted with when we consider the brevity of life, judgment is assured, is certain. Three facts we are confronted with when we consider the brevity of life. The first fact, death is approaching. We must embrace this fact. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Death is on the march. Death is approaching. We see that death is approaching because God's determination is irreversible. We will all die. Now, I could 
you could say, oh, brother, what about eschatology? And what about if the Lord comes? Okay, I get that. I understand that. But barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to die. The Lord pronounced this all the way back in Genesis chapter number 2 by way of a warning to Adam and Eve. He said in Genesis 2 verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. It wasn't just a spiritual death. It had physical ramifications. And then in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 19, when the Lord is is pronouncing the curse upon man. In Genesis 3 and verse number 19, the Bible reads, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Death is certain. God's determination is irreversible. We all must die. Death is approaching. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and verse number 7, Solomon, the wisest man on earth, talked about all that was vanity in the earth. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 7, when he's talking about uh, death, and the context is death, he says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Death is approaching. We cannot escape that. Psalm 89, verse 48. The psalmist reports, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Think on these things. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher who preached the famous message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, wrote this in reference to death and its certainty. He wrote, Death spares no rank, no condition of men. Kings as well as subjects, princes as well as the meanest rustics are liable liable to this fatal stroke. The scepter cannot keep off the arrows that fly by day, and the sickness which wastes at noonday. It is no screen, no guard against the shafts of death. We have heard of great tyrants and usurpers who vaunted that they had the power of life and death. But we have never heard otherwise that in a short time their scepters are fallen out of their hands. Their crowns are toppled off their heads. And they are themselves snatched away by the king of terrors. None can stay the hand of death. We, I mentioned these individuals that passed away this past week. And you say, well, some of them were well advanced in their age. Uh, Brother Armin in his late 80s. And yet, if you would have talked to Brother Armin, I'm sure in his right mind he would have said, it just seems like yesterday that I was 20 years old. And just yesterday my kids were young. And just yesterday my grandkids were young. And just yesterday it seems like the world and life was before me. Death is approaching. God's determination is irreversible. We will all die. But not only do we see in death approaching that God's determination is irreversible and that we will all die, but we see also that death is imminent. The word imminent means likely to occur at any moment. It is impending. Do you believe that? Do you believe that death is imminent? That it is likely to occur at any moment? That it is impending? We don't know. 
how long our time on this earth is. We don't know when God will allow us to take our last breath and then go to wherever it is that we're going to spend eternity. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. And I've used this illustration many a times, but you all folks, you're probably aware of the guy that worked for me back in the Air Force, John Porter. 30-something years old, getting ready to retire from the Air Force. He goes out on his lunch break, a great, beautiful day in Dayton, Ohio, on November 4th in 2003. And before he puts his motorcycle away for the year, uh, he's going to take one last ride on it. He goes out for lunch and never returns. In a moment, taken into eternity. Hit by a vehicle, not paying attention to what they're doing. John Porter, preparing for retirement. Not planning at all on dying that day. Taken into eternity. Death is imminent. We don't know when it's going to happen. It is likely to occur at any moment. It is impending. God controls the timing of our death. We have no assurance of today or tomorrow or even later on today. Job, who we talked a little bit on Wednesday night about how his friends came to comfort him and to mourn with him, and they turned into, as in Job's own words, miserable comforters. And in Job, in answering the, the accusations that were brought against him, Job says in Job 7 and verse number 1, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling that is only there for the money and then flees away quickly? And then again, Job answering his, his three miserable, comforting friends. And in Job chapter 14 and verse number 5, Job says, Seeing his days are determined. He's talking about man. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Talking about God. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Spurgeon commenting on the brevity of life and the fact that death is imminent and impending. Spurgeon wrote, The sovereign arbiter of destiny holds in his own power all the issues of our life. We are not waifs and strays upon the ocean of fate, but are steered by infinite wisdom towards our desired haven. And some come to that desired haven quicker than they ever thought that they would. Death is imminent. God controls the timing of our death. And we are incapable of extending our time here on this earth. Psalms 22 verse 29 reads, All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before Him. And none can keep alive his own soul. Now that doesn't mean that we don't take efforts to make the quality of our life here as good as it can be. It doesn't mean that we're poor stewards of the vessel or the body that God has given us. We ought to take care of our vessel. We ought to, we ought to want to uh, eat properly and get the right amount of exercise and rest and relaxation and not abuse our bodies. We ought to do all of that. And yet at the end of the day, none can keep alive his own soul. Last year, our dear brother from back at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, Brother Jim Hall, passed away. Those of you that knew Jim Hall, you would be hard-pressed to say that there was a more healthy guy than Jim Hall. I remember during there, Jim, and our time over there in Emmaus, Pennsylvania at the Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, Jim and Gina Hall 
turned me on to proper eating and all these different supplements and so forth and so on. And, and Jim was the healthiest guy you'd ever meet. And he's on the treadmill exercising, taken into eternity. He's gone. Jim didn't get on that treadmill and say, you know, I think, I think I'm probably going to die on this treadmill. Death is imminent. More than 150,000 people die every day. Some old, some young. Some like our granddaughter Noel, born deceased. Death is imminent. We're incapable of extending our time on this earth. The New Yorker magazine and 2017 printed an article entitled Silicon Valley's Quest to Live Forever. Can billions of dollars worth of high-tech research succeed in making death optional? The article detailed the efforts of a woman by the name of Martine Rothblatt. She's the founder of a biotech firm called United Therapeutics. It's still in existence today. Their goal was that they intended to grow new organs from people's DNA. And the purpose behind that, here's a quote, Rothblatt said, clearly it is possible through technology to make death optional. In fact, Rothblatt already had commissioned a backup version of her wife, Bina, a mind clone of a robot named Bina48. I'm going to refrain from any jokes that I might make this morning because of the seriousness and solemnity of the subject. She goes on and says, It is enormously gratifying to have the epitome of the establishment, the head of the National Academy of Medicine, say, We too choose to make death optional. Bill Maris, an entrepreneur and prominent venture capitalist, focused on technology and life sciences. He's the founder and CEO of Google Ventures. He stated that he founded it because he decided to build a company that would solve death. Well, all of these ideas sound great, and, you know, all the science fiction and so forth, but death is imminent. It is approaching. We all will face death. The Bible terms in the Old Testament as going the way of all the earth. We will all face death. Death is approaching. That's the first fact that we learn as we think about the brevity of life. But notice the second fact. Death requires a wise application. And I could go on and say it requires a wise application of our time here on this earth. Since death is certain and impending, how should we respond? What do we do? Do we just say, oh man, what a downer of a subject. What's the point in living? And just fold up our tents and go home and be fatalistic. And like, oh, I can't leave my house because something might happen and I might die. No. The response is not to take a neurotic approach to life. A fatalistic approach. A fearful approach. The response is, first of all, not to waste our time. Don't waste your time 
Life is short. None of us knows how much time we have left on this earth. And that is because, as we're talking about this morning, it's the brevity of life. Life is fleeting. In Job 14 and verse number 1, Job says, Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. We are a few days. And as we get older, and I used to think, you know, people that, that are progressing in age, they exaggerate. You know, I'd hear them say things like, you know, the older I get, the more time seems to go by quicker. Look, look, I'm not exaggerating. It's amazing. Like, where has time gone? We're already in the second month of 2023. Where has time gone? Where have the years gone? What have we done in the years that we have been given by the Lord? Man is, is a few days. We come forth like a flower and cut down. We look at the flowers in the spring and in the summer and how beautiful they are. And then very soon, you know, as, as we look at the leaves and how pretty the leaves are and so forth and all the greenery, and then pretty soon all is gone. The trees are barren. The flowers have died. Summer is gone. Summer is past. Fall is upon us. Winter is approaching. And how brief the time is. Life is fleeting. The psalmist in Psalm 102 verse 11 wrote, My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. And how quickly a shadow disappears throughout the day. Life is fleeting. And therefore, and we're talking about this second fact about the brevity of life, that the death requires a wise application of our time here on this earth, then that leads us, if life really is fleeting, that leaves us to consider the fact that life requires our focus. To focus on what is important. The psalmist David in Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5 He's in distress and he asked the Lord to help him understand just how long he's going to have to go through this. And, and he realizes that life is short. It is as a hand breath. And you know what? When we're going through affliction and difficulty, we might sometimes say, you know, I'd rather go home to be with the Lord. But then at other times we say, man, life is short. If I only had this much time to do this over. Life requires our focus. We must focus on what is important. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 90, and you're all familiar with this psalm. This is a psalm of Moses. It's a prayer that Moses, the man of God, made. In Psalm 90, I want you to notice verses 9 through 12. Psalm 90, verses 9 through 12. Moses writes, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The word tale in the Hebrew literally means a, a moaning or a muttering. We spend all of our years as a tale that is told. It carries the idea of just a passing thought, a passing moaning, a passing muttering. Life passes away as rapidly as our thought life. One thought comes in and quickly it's gone. You ever have that happen? You get up to go do something, you get derailed, and pretty quickly you forgot what you, you got up to do. 
Life is like that. It is fleeting. It passes away quickly. Our thoughts have no permanency or make no impression upon us at times. They come and they are gone. They are fleeting. Moses is saying such is life. In verse number 9, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Do you see what Moses is saying? You live to be 80 years of old, 80 years of age, and you say, man, 80 years, that's a long time. It's fleeting. Those of you that have lost parents, my dad was 80 when he passed away. I wasn't ready for it. Now, I was ready for it in the sense that I knew it was going to happen. I wasn't ready for it. You know, I was talking with Brother Mark this past week uh, over at the funeral home. I don't remember whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday, but we are talking, you know, and he said there would be times where this past week where he and Donna and the rest of the family would be fine, and then all of a sudden they, you know, just at a fleeting moment, they break down. And I, I said to Brother Mark, I said, yeah, my dad's been gone for 10 years, and there would be times where I'm alone. And I think of dad and I get choked up. 80's too young. Oh, he lived a long, full life. It's fleeting. Life is short. We must focus on what is important. It doesn't matter if you're 70 or 80. Or young. In your teens. Death is approaching. We must focus on spending our days here on this earth in the best way possible. Death requires a wise application of our time here on this earth. Notice further what Moses writes in verse 11. He says, Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Now watch, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. To focus on what is really important. To focus on what is what is worthy of taking our time and our energy and our resources. Life requires our focus. And so as we see that we are to be careful not to waste our time, life is short. That means secondly that we must walk wisely because life is short. We must walk wisely in our relationship and our service to the Lord. In Ephesians 5, verse 16, we haven't quite got there yet in our Wednesday evening studies, but we'll be there shortly. In Ephesians 5, verse 16, Paul writes, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Buying back the time. Walking cautiously and circumspectly. Redeeming the time, buying back the time, spending our days here on what is important. Have you ever thought about the fact that you get to worship the Lord? Not that you have to worship the Lord. Oh, it's Sunday, I have to go to church. If that's your approach, don't come. If you hate it that much, don't come. Now, I want you to come. But, you know, if you're only here, you really hate being here, then just, you know, don't come. That's a matter between you and the Lord. I want you to come, but, you know, we're supposed to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're supposed to be serving the Lord with all our power and our might, doing what we can with what we've got, where we are at. Are you doing that? 
Are you really sold out and focused on your service to the Lord and your relationship with the Lord? We're to walk wisely. Life is short. We're supposed to uh, walk in a way that is honoring unto the Lord. We're supposed to walk wisely because life is short as it relates to our loved ones. And when I say our loved ones, I mean not only our family, but our friends. Our friends, I hope, are our loved ones as well. We often spend our time on earth devoted to that which doesn't amount to a hill of beans. To that which is unimportant. Look, I get it. We're allowed to have, we're allowed to have hobbies. We're allowed to have pastimes. I'm not saying that. But we really sometimes pour ourselves into everything that really doesn't matter. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 39. Look at the continuation of the thought in, uh, in, in verse 6 of Psalm 39. David continues writing and he says, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Now the words vain show there, uh, in, in, the, in the Hebrew it's one word. And it means in an illusion that leads to idolatry. An illusion, it's not real. Notice he says, Surely every man that walketh, every man walketh in a vain show, surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Isn't that amazing? Now you say, Oh, well, brother, that's not my case because I've heaped up riches and I have a will. And I know who's going to get my stuff. Well, do you know what they're going to do with your stuff? You ever think about this? Like you, you, you want to be so careful that you leave this inheritance to this person. And that person might take that and spend it on an ungodly pursuit. You don't know what they're going to do with that. Oh, i got to spend all my time doing this. i got to spend all my time trying to heap up riches so I can enjoy this and I can enjoy it and I can leave this in earth. Again, not, none of that is wrong, trying to prepare for retirement and leave an inheritance to your children. None of that is wrong. But if that is your focus, then you are missing the point in life. It's been said over and over again, and trust me, I've read enough leadership and management books and studied leadership and management enough and studied life issues enough, and I wholeheartedly support this analogy. You've heard it said that no person on their deathbed is going to say, you know, I wish I would have spent more time at work. You know, I wish I would have made a little bit more money during my time here on this earth. No person on their deathbed is going to say that. They're going to focus on what's important. The people in their lives that should be a focus. Our loved ones, our family, and our friends. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know... If I would have known that was the last time I was going to see him or talk to him, I would have said this. Why wait? Why wait? Why not say it now? Why not let the people that are most important to you know how you feel about them? Life is short. Life is brief. And we hold these grudges. And we engage in these battles that in the end don't really amount to anything. 
We ought to walk wisely. Life is short. As unto the Lord, to our loved ones, and then how about this, to the lost. Colossians 4 and verse number 5. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Redeeming the time. Obviously, those that are without means those that are not saved. And how often do we spend time with people and we never think about where they're going to spend eternity. We never speak the Gospel to them. We never tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We focus on everything else. All the years that Larry Bryant was my neighbor. And I would see him taking his trash out or getting his mail. Hey Larry, how's it going? Hey Mel. Never told him about Christ. How we fail. In that which is most important. There's a third fact. I apologize for my emotions this morning. There's a third fact that we must consider when thinking about the brevity of life. Judgment is assured. Everyone will spend an eternity in one of two places. Men's souls are committed to the proper state of happiness or eternal suffering as they pass from this life. Eternally, either to be with the Lord or eternally separated from the Lord in a lake of fire. You can read more about that in depth in Revelation chapter number 20. Judgment is assured. We don't like to talk about these things. We don't like to talk about death. That death is, that life is brief and that death is approaching. And we don't want to be reminded that we perhaps have misspent our time and our focus here on this earth, not focusing on what is right and what is proper. But we must consider these areas. That judgment is assured. Judgment as to The place where we will spend eternity is certain. In Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 27, the Bible reads, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and he's talking about the physical death, but after this, the judgment. After physical death. David Crosby, the musician, was the founding member of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Later, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And the birds. He died this past Thursday at age 81. On early Wednesday, he responded to a tweet. That, and I don't know the context of the tweet, but it said something like, uh, you know, you can't get in heaven if you have tattoos. Uh, which is a completely idiotic thing, right? I mean, it's just completely idiotic. And he responded in a joking manner about heaven, I've heard the place is overrated. It's cloudy. I hope for his sake that he knew the Lord. 
There's no indication that he did by his life. There's no indication that what he was saying and joking about the place being overrated, that he took it very seriously. But heaven is real. And so is hell. And after we pass from this life, whenever that is, judgment is assured. Judgment as to the place where we're going to spend eternity is certain. But I want you to know that this judgment can be preemptive. Judgment judgment, uh, can be handled preemptively. And it is entirely possible to know your judgment before you pass from this life. That is entirely possible. Christ came to save sinners. Jesus Christ gave His life on the cross that others might live. All who repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He has made on the cross of Calvary are assured of a place in heaven with Him. Their judgment has already taken place. The judgment of sins for the believer took place on the cross of Calvary. It is a preemptive judgment. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. A very well-known passage of Scripture, but I want you to notice John chapter number 3. Look at a few of these verses this morning when we're talking about the fact that after we pass from this life physically, judgment is assured. It is assured as to the the place, and it is a certain judgment, but we can preemptively know how this judgment is going to take place. Notice John chapter number 3, verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you know anything about your Old Testament history, you know that Moses lifted up the servant on the pole of brass, and if they if they looked at that pole, they were healed of the, the, the bites from the fiery serpent. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be lifted up, I'm going to be placed upon a cross. Notice here he says in verse number 15, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You can know for a certainty, when you pass from this life, how your judgment is going to go. You've already had your sins judged at the cross of Christ. You can know for certain that because Christ died for you, you're going to spend an eternity with Him in heaven. This is not some fable that people made up. This is the reality of God's Word. It is truth. Judgment can be preemptively taken care of. But then we come to this last point. And that is due to the brevity of life. We must make, the, we must make this judgment a priority. We must not put it off. We must not think we have numbers of days in which we can make our determination and somehow think that we're going to do this and we're going to do that and then, you know, I'll, after I do this and after I do that, then I'll take care of this situation. Paul is before Felix. And what is Paul speaking to Felix about? 
He's speaking to Felix about Christ. And he's reasoning with Felix of righteousness, of temperance, and what? Judgment. Read it in Acts chapter 24, verse number 5. Not now, but you understand what I'm saying. okay? And what did Felix say? Felix trembling said, why don't you go away and when it's convenient for me, I'll call you back and you can talk to me more about this. Felix didn't want to deal with judgment. Man doesn't want to deal with judgment. Man says, I will do this and I will do that. And then I will come to the Lord on my own terms. And it doesn't work that way. You don't know how long you have. God forbid, and we, we've mentioned this before, but you know, poor brother Steve, a, a year ago, a little over a year ago on his way home, gets in an automobile accident. Thank the Lord that he's okay. But you look at a guy like Dale Earnhardt all these years ago, and he's in an accident you know, in this race, and it looks like just a, a minor fender bender as it, as it relates to NASCAR, and the guy loses his life. You don't know how long you have here on this earth. You must make taking care of this judgment a priority. Second Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you are confronted with the brevity of life. Today is the day that you are confronted with the coming judgment. Today is the day that you must reckon with God. You must repent of your sins and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then the judgment has already taken place for you. Your sins have been judged at the cross of Christ. Now, there are other judgments, the judgment seat of Christ, where you'll be judged for rewards for your labor here on this earth, but you will not face the great white throne judgment. Not anybody that's saved by the grace of God is going to face the great white throne judgment and possibly be cast into the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Your sins have already been judged at the cross. Well... This is the kind of message that, you know, I don't really relish preaching. It's reality, but we like to think about, you know, man, preach something practical that I can live this week and sink my teeth into. And I like to do that. But, beloved, by the events of this week, we are forced to confront the fact that life is brief. The day is approaching where we will go the way of all the earth. Death is approaching. Death requires us to make a wise application of our days here on this earth. Do not look back and say, you know what, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have said this to this person that meant so much to me. Make a wise application of your days here on this earth. And remember this fact. Judgment is assured. Deal with it now. Bow the knee to Christ now. Look unto Him all the ends of the earth and be saved. As Isaiah wrote, and as the Lord used that scripture to bring Charles Spurgeon to a saving knowledge of Christ. I pray for you. I love my family and my friends. I hope that you live to be 130. I hope we get to enjoy long days here on this earth. 
I know we'll spend long days together in eternity. But life is brief. We don't know what a day is going to bring. May we apply ourselves with wisdom here on this earth. The brevity of life. Let's pray.